Hello and welcome to Does It Swashbuckle. I'm joined as always by the lovely Jack Richardson. Hello. And today we have a very special guest, the man who in many ways introduced us to podcasting, Leslie Byron Pitt. Leslie is the host of Fatal Fatal Attractions podcast and um, Hustlers of Culture. And in general, he's a lovely person who was one of the people who encouraged us to start this. So if you do hate us, blame him. (laughs) I will not tell you where to find me. (laughs) Uh, We've probably mentioned before on um, another episode that Nick and I met on a young critics program and Leslie was one of the mentors. And he basically said, you want to do a podcast, you want to do a podcast, do a podcast together. And um we just said yes <laughs> and we didn't know if it was gonna if we would have any chemistry if it was gonna work and yeah I think it has well how can I say it like I remember seeing all these faces on this on this on this thing it's first time I ever did anything like that and this I think the thing is looking at everyone on zoom you could see who was interested you could see who wasn't interested um, you could see who was going to take something from stuff that we said and some people who possibly were not particularly interested in what I had to say or were more interested in what um, some of the other guys had to say or whatnot. Not a, good, not a bad thing, not a good thing. It's, it is just a thing. It's, you know, look at school. And I just saw you guys talking and you guys were both talking about a podcast. And I was like, well, the big thing is about networking. Um, every aspect of this still to this day, no matter what in, in creative industries is, is about networking and the more people you can find who can, who you can feed off and, and work with, the more likely whatever you, your goal is, you can kind of succeed. Um, and I really did believe that in terms of, of podcasting. I mean, I said a lot of stuff and it was a... It was a long <laughs> couple of days when we were, when we were talking. Um, but I was so happy when that came through and I was so happy that you guys were, oh, we're thinking of doing something. And, you know, obviously I added you on, 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 on Twitter and I was still watching to see what was going on. So I'm really happy to see this kind of come into fruition and, and see where it goes um, because you found yourself a nice little niche and not only it's a nice little niche, it's different and that's really good that's what I want to listen to as a uh, as a podcast listener as well as someone to be on podcast something a bit niche a bit different not necessarily talking about Marvel movies not necessarily talking about Star Wars or anything else like that you know just that kind of something interesting what you can kind of extrapolate and pull so much from (laughs) from from a hundred years of cinema Speaking of niche, today we are doing our second Tom Holland adventure movie. Um, and frankly, it's me. Frankly, <laughs> thank fuck it's better than Uncharted. <laughs> today we are talking about The Lost City of Zed. Um, it's a historical film about this man named Percy Fawcett, who um, was had this theory after travelling to the Amazon multiple times, that there was this lost civilization that had never been discovered. Um, And basically, he put himself through hell to try and find it. Um, And this tells his tale. 
it was it had a bit of an interesting history it went through numerous directors um and numerous leads i think brad pitt was originally in there to start which would have been interesting seeing brad pitt play a <laughs> 1914 englishman then <laughs> benedict cumberbatch who you expect to play a 1914 englishman <laughs> and then charlie hunnam who exists exists somewhere in like this limbo between america and britain mm. Um, so Leslie chose this film, as is the tradition with guests. And Leslie, I wanted to start and just ask you why you picked this film. Well, I've owned it for quite a while. I've owned it. It came out in 2016 and I, um, I got it on Blu-ray possibly about three, four years ago, or maybe two years ago. And I really have this thing about James Gray. Um, ever since I heard him on the Brace and Ellis podcast many years ago. And I really love, like, he kind of approaches things in this kind of, I mean, the Brace and Ellis podcast is, depends on how you feel about Brett Easton, Easton Ellis, but they were talking about movies and they were talking about the fact that they don't, they don't make them like they used to so much. And they were talking about like kind of 70s movies. Now, for me, the 70s were, were an anomaly. And I don't mean it as a negative thing. I mean, it as a great thing. Like the seventies have so, like, there's so many good movies in there. It was when the lunatics kind of really ran the asylum and, and were allowed to do certain things. And there's certain movies that clearly would be made now because they just wouldn't make money, but they did whatever. And, um, and I, I really got that. There was a, just a passion from Gray when he was talking about it. And I subsequently just started watching quite a few of his films. I haven't seen Two Lovers yet, but um, Little Odisa I've seen and um, We Own the Night I've seen and um, uh, The Immigrant, which is still can't get here in England properly, but uh, I got a French Blu-ray of it, um, which is incredible. Like, it's a really incredible movie. And... And um, what's he, he's got done another one with Mark Wahlberg, and I can't remember what it's called. And I'm not a massive Mark Wahlberg fan. I think it might be The Greys. I'm, I'm, bear with me. Um, but the thing I absolutely love about his movies is they're just so rich. There's something about what he does with them that just, in terms of his style and his craft and just bringing those the yard, sorry, not, not The Greys. Um, and he also did um, Ad Astra as well, which is I, I live, really love. Um, there's something about how he just crafts a movie, which is, I don't think he's made a masterpiece yet. I don't think he's made anything that everyone's going to turn around and, and go, oh, that, that, that was amazing or anything else like that. But he clearly looks at the films of the 70s and, and things like that. And, and he draws from it these interesting ways of of just building a movie and then turns it and makes it something of his own and if you watch something like we own the night it's like it's a kind of gangland movie it's a gangster style movie but it's not you can tell that he he borrows from someone like um, francis ford coppola but he doesn't make a francis ford coppola movie and doesn't do the kind of typical thing you and and one of the things i like about we own the night is i had no idea where that movie was going to go and he does it and he just takes it into these really interesting places. And it's the same with The Immigrant. I love The Immigrant. Um, 
And I only recently watched it because I, I, I got it for Christmas. And what I loved about The Immigrant is I thought it was just going to be a big, sprawling, again, another type of Godfather type movie. And it's not. It's this kind of really small, intimate character drama. Um, and Marion Cotillard is really good. And um, Jeremy Renner is really, is, is great. And he's worked with Wrecking Phoenix three times, four times now. And, and he really draws this really interesting, complicated um, character out of Wrecking Phoenix. But again, it's Wrecking Phoenix. Um, and it's just this brilliant way of turning around and talking about the immigration story in America, but not making it like The Godfather, making it something very, very different and potent. And it has depth, even though it's quite a smaller, more concentrated movie. So therefore, I chose um, Lost City of Zed because I've just got this thing about James Gray. And I kind of did a kind of coin toss between this and um, The Adventures of Robin Hood, um, uh, Errol Flynn, because I've never seen it. And I just wanted the idea of you wanted to do something swashbuckling. And I think what what seems to happen when we talk about swashbucklers, we think of big blockbusters kind of around the 80s. We think of Indiana Jones. We think of films like that. And I really wanted to just pull something which was a little bit off the beaten track, even though like Robin Hood's quite well known. So I decided to go with uh, Lost City of Zed because it was made for 30 million it made about 19 million people have seen it a lot of people who have seen it seem to really enjoy it but it seems to be really little seen and it's got Robert Patterson in there it's got Tom Holland in there it's got um Charlie Hunnam and since Zed these guys have gone to bigger movies and yet no one seems to be talking about Zed and I was like I wonder why that is. And I wonder what is it about this movie? And it was really well reviewed and I wanted to have a look and then I, I, I picked that and that's why I picked it. I think there's a couple of really interesting things there. Firstly, um, Andrew, who organised the Young Critics place where we all met, um, had similar instincts and again went for something a little bit off the beaten track, um, a little bit revisionist. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting was you saying that um, James Gray had this big admiration for the films of the 1970s. Because yes. to me, this it definitely felt like a film that shouldn't get made today or wouldn't get made today. <laughs> wouldn't. Please say wouldn't. Don't say wouldn't. shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, to me, it, I thought it felt more like a, one of those great 1950s historical epics. I mm. could 100% see Alec Guinness playing Fawcett. Yes. Um, but yeah, Jack, what do you think? Because this was our first time watching it, wasn't it? Yeah, this is... um. Weirdly, I remember when this movie came out. So it must have been around like 17. So not like super young. But I think it didn't even have anything to do with the marketing because I mean, this movie was not very hugely marketed. But just the title, I always, I didn't know anything about this movie. And I kind of, in my head, had it as a completely different movie, as more of like an Indiana Jones type swashbuckling movie. Um, and so I was very surprised when I actually watched this movie, because this is like a very solemn, um, almost like meditation, like exploration. It covers so many different 
themes. It really was not um, the movie that I was expecting. Um, and I'm uh, kind of glad of that because I know that Nate loves um, <laughs> a big fun swashbuckling movie. I like inter- more interesting movies. That's not true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. But I will say, um, when I was looking at a lot of the kind of critique, I don't want to use the word discourse, but I'll use the word discourse okay. um, around this movie. I do feel a little bit sad because I think that this movie has had an effect on some people who really love it that I didn't personally feel myself. And I understand <laughs> it, but I didn't feel it. It was my first time too. I had it for ages and... Hmm. I had ne- I was like, well, I've got it on Blu-ray, and I'm basically for the last couple of couple of months, couple of weeks, I've been kind of trying to find ways to go through a lot of my collection, which has been kind of buy- blind buys or bought for me or, or or anything else like that. So I, I like I was so glad you guys asked me on because it gave me a chance to go and sit down and watch it. And one of the reasons why I kind of was holding back was because. It's a two and a half hour movie. It's yeah. know, two hours 20. And a part of me was a little bit kind of, when am I ever going to have two hours and two and a half hours in the day to go and watch something like this? Um, and then me and the wife watched Batman. I was like, actually, I need to, you know, shut up and find time. Um, and I kind of agree with you to a point, Jack. I think there is something about, about the length of it, it doesn't need to be as long as it it, it, it is. Um, I think they're doing their both. I think what Gray Gray's doing here is to try and add a, an amount of richness and 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 an, an epic quality to it in terms of length, not in terms of, and and as well as visuals. And um, I'm not too fussed about it. I still got a a, a strong response from what he was trying to do. I think some of it is a bit obvious. I think he's trying to, I think there's this thing in a lot of movie making at the moment where um, they're trying to place a certain aspect of modern discourse into films that could be a bit older. Um, Not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it can be a kind of obvious thing. And I think it's, it's there. Um, uh, kind of looking up at the notes that um, you guys were typing up and and whatnot, and and you you brought it up with Sienna Sienna, Sienna Miller's, Miller's character, and um, I kind of agree there. And yet, this film is so beautiful to look at, and it is so well crafted. Mm. And I look at Charlie Charlie Hunnam, and I'm like, you were the guy in Green Street. And this is like I I've, I was floored by the fact that this guy had come on and they kind of and and I, I just felt it was his best work. I just felt, you know, he's not he's not an actor that I gravitate to a lot. And I think what he's trying to do is he's not trying to be kind of barnstorming, even though he has these kind of loud moments. It's not a it's not an Oscar kind of performance. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of it's an interesting performance like there are times where there's conflict and instead of going high, he goes quite low. And 
I absolutely just adored what they were doing with stuff like that. I loved Robert Patterson. I think him and um, his uh, co-star in Twilight, who I the name is forget I'm forgetting now. And how can I? Because she's everywhere. <laughs> who, who, what's her name? Girl from Twilight. Come on, Jack. This has got surely this is your ex- area. Thank you, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, Christian Stewart. I think at this moment in time they are doing amazing work, mm-hmm. and I think one thing that Patterson seems to um, seems to enjoy doing is like really finding these directors that he can get the best uh, that will get the best out of him, and he can produce really good work for. And it's one of those roles that he he brings about, which is really understated. And he's kind of he's not doing anything, but he's doing loads at the same time. It's like and I really love what he's, how he's doing it. He's very quiet and very reserved at times. And when we first meet him, he's, he's hammered and he's drunk. And then you just see him become more and more understated until, you know, again, when they explode, only sometimes they kind of kind of explode into louder voices, depending on what's going on in terms of the exploration. exploration. But what I really kind of got out of it, it was your, I was seeing... James Gray tried to make a film like Agree, Agree of the Wrath of God, um, like early Herzog and, and Apocalypse Now and, and, and kind of going into that Conrad Heart of Darkness thing and updating it and, not in, and, and making it palatable for a modern audience. And I think that's really tough to do. And I think he does a really, really good job of it. I don't think it's got the emotional beats. I think that a lot of us kind of wait for now, but it is a film that since I've watched it, I do want to watch it again. And I think I have that with all of his movies, every single one of his movies, I go, I feel there's something missing here, but I always want to watch them again. There's always something in there. And I get the feeling it's about the subtlety of what he's doing. He's got this eye for detail. Mm-hmm. And one of the things here is it's a bigger movie than he usually, he usually makes, but the detail in, in all that period stuff is just so it's clear as day. And it's, it's beautiful to watch. And I remember watching it and looking at that and the green night and going, these like, these are images that you got. I, I was so annoyed that I didn't watch it on a big screen. Because I, I think I'd just be enraptured by it. And I think that's still really hard. I still think that's really hard to do, even though I think there's some kind of um, emotional steps that just don't necessarily work. Um, I think there's, a mo- I think once Tom Holland kind of comes in, he has to do a lot of heavy lifting and he's not in it for a long time. Spoilers. Um, He's not in it for as long as we'd think, even though he's like kind of third on the title or fourth on the title. And what he's trying to do and what there's certain things he says in his arguments that just don't ring true because he's not there long enough. And, and there's no one, there's no one. I think you, you see it once or twice with Sienna Miller's character and I don't think they play with it enough. And I think they're trying to do it with... Um, uh, the character of uh, of Murray and just go why this is sometimes some kind of a fool's errand, um, and it just doesn't. 
it just doesn't hit that kind of emotional resonance that I think I would personally think would make a masterpiece or I don't like that word, but I will make something that would really, really, really stick with me. And yeah. yet here I am talking about it and I'm going, well, that ending was really good, wasn't it? Mm. Oh, that was really good with the, with the, with the, the journal and the book and the, the arrows and stuff. And it reminded me of films that I really love, like, um, like, like I said, Wrath of God. Um, you bring up um, the ideas of it being like a 50 a cinema film. And I was I was instantly reminded of, of, of Cluzo's kind of like rages of wages of fear type thing, where it's just this kind of it's almost like men on a mission, and the stakes are a lot smaller, but so human. And I I don't know, it just stuck with me on that sense. And even though it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't it, it doesn't make me kind of cry or it doesn't make me feel that emotion or anything else like that. And yet I'm still kind of turning around and going, well, I need to, I need to just see what, what it is about this movie. I had that, I had it with the, We Under Night. And I get the feeling that the reason why is because I think Gray, who's his own screenwriter, I think he's doing stuff to not subvert audience expectation, but just, just to, to pull us away from what we think these movies should be. Mm. I think there's something about like, I bring up We Own the Night again because it's one I saw a couple of times and I had to review it for somewhere and I can't remember where, where I reviewed it. But the thing that I found about it was it, it has all this glam and glitter and glitz and and you expect it to be a certain type of movie and then it's almost like a bait and switch and by the end it's this really tense cop thriller, like cop crime drama and there's all these family ties and I think he does really well with talking with talking about family ties, but not making them too, I wouldn't say pronounced. I would say he does this way, of, he does a thing and where we all know with so many American films, they do sin to the father and, 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 and all sorts. And, you know, that's the basis of stuff like the Godfather and whatnot. Yeah. And I think what he does is so interesting and turning around and, just placing it in this on, on a different island from what we normally expect. And, and like I, I keep, I, I'll say it again, I don't think he reaches a point where everyone turns around and goes, well, why is more not more, more people talking about this guy or anything else like that? But he he's just so interesting in how he tells the story and and what his stories are about and the human element of it. And I think the thing that's frustrating me the most is I'm trying to find out what it is that doesn't make me kind of reel back in emotion and, and find it. But I can't say I, I, I dislike it. I, I'm, I'm always really absorbed by what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. Yeah, yeah I think um, I completely get that as well, that sense that it's a film I should like and I should feel an emotional visceral response to. But I don't. Um, I think one of the things for me is that, and I, this may come down to sort of Gray's own style of filmmaking, but I think he's he's just trying to do a bit too much in okay. one film. I think there's a really fascinating character study in there, as you said, sort of Heart of Darkness, how far one man will go to pursue this yeah. quest. There's this idea of exploration and the idea of sort of the very pure ideals of wanting to know more and tell people more and just learn more mm. versus that kind of colonial 
superiority um, or sense of superiority. Yes. There's um, Sienna Miller is kind of loaded with what feels like a very token mention of feminism where she just pops up in the film to be like, oh, well, women have it worse. And she's not wrong, but it's oh. just feels very out of place. Mm. And then there's also this sort of final half hour that's a father-son story about the relationship between Fawcett, played by Hunnam, and his son, who's played by Tom Holland. And I I think each of them could sort of work given a bit more time. Mm. I think they end up competing against each other and what you get are lots of references to these very interesting ideas, mm. but not enough to really grab an audience or hit them where they live. I mean, I'm... I'm not sure. I, a part of me feels maybe it's just because Fawcett as a character, the, the biggest problem is, I mean, we, we haven't really spoke, spoke, mentioned too much about the plot, but it's based on true, uh, on, on, on true events. And one thing about this is this man disappears. Yeah. He, he's, he's never found again. And you get something similar to Zodiac where it is a, an unfinished story that needs a certain amount of closure. So there is this element of because it's unfinished, it leaves us kind of wondering, possibly hoping, possibly expecting something, something more to come of it. Um, and I think what you bring up about Sienna Miller is um, is quite true. I mean, especially near the end, where you know one the, the final scene. Um, I think she kind of knocks it out of the park in terms of her, her, how she how how she acts it, but in terms of the character, I'm just a little bit like mm, that independence that you had before. It's not there, and not only it's not there, it I wouldn't say betrays what we've seen before, but there's something about how she how that how that wife character acts before, and how she acts at the end where. It, it feels a little bit uneven, maybe. Um, and yet I keep going back to this and I just keep going, yes, but there must be, there's something that, that, that draws me in and there's something that kind of pulls me in and, and makes, it really, um, makes me really interested. And I think, it's, I think it is still to do with some of the um, clear changes that... Um, that kind of occurred. Um, I was there was an explorer, John Hemming, like criticized the movie, claiming that um, Fawcett was like um, was not a great um, explorer and he was a racist nutter um, and he didn't discover anything. And I find that quite interesting because in this in this role, in this role, you get this feeling that he's got this. He's on good terms with with the natives that he finds, and he seems to be doing it for all the the quote unquote right white re, uh, right we reasons. What a slip uh, of the tongue there! I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, he does it for all the you know all all the, the the for good intentions, so to speak. And a part of me is just wondering, maybe it's just that change because of this it, it it makes me more interested in this to see this man do that and to to have that and, and maybe that's what kind of ropes me in whereas if it was a more man typical of that era um i wonder if i would feel a little bit more distance from it but i think ultimately what keeps me 
uh, what keeps me interested in it the most is possibly just Hunnam's performance. I mean, I think the opening, like the opening where you've just got, they're, they're doing a, a hunt, aren't they? And um, in the hunt, he's on, the, the dogs are going and, you know, it's big wide shots of, of everything and you see the guy shooting. And one of the things I like about that is Hunnam as Fawcett, not only shooting the deer, but it's this fantastic example of um, character through action. And it's something that we don't see a lot of anymore. It's, um, well, I say we don't see a lot of anymore. It's more the sense of when we look at bigger movies these days, action is just action as opposed yeah. to trying to inform an audience of what the, you know, of the action being more than what it is. And you see that determination in this character right at the beginning. I think from there I'm ensnared. And I, I love those kind of one man obsession, obsessive movies. And you get this feeling that, you know, Grace looking at someone like Paul Thomas Anderson going, well, I can do a dare will be blood and I can do this and, and, and whatnot. And, and I think that's why I like it because there's, there's just something about that obsessive nature of a character going back to the jungle knowing full well that it's the worst thing. It's almost like the Hurt Locker and, um, and Catherine Bigelow, where it's just this kind of, you know what you're doing is dangerous, you know what you're doing is you're leaving the people that you say that you love, you're leaving comfortability for this weird obsession. And yet when you're there with him and you see how he interacts, you're like, I, I love it. I, I love it. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why the Murray, the bit where Murray, another explorer, so-called explorer, comes with him. And I think that's one of the things that I really loved from um, from the, the from the movie. This guy going, he's so enraptured by what Fawcett says at the beginning uh, and during this massive crowd sequence that he goes, I want to come too. And then he comes to and he's like, I'm not built for this in any shape or form. I'm so not built for this. And he becomes this hindrance to everything. And you realise there's an element of this spirit that only force it has. And that's the, that's the thing that just keep, you know, that element of drive keeps him going and it's not in every man. And that's what makes him interesting and engaging. And I think Hunnam does a really good job of highlighting that. Um, I mean, there is the argument that people said that Patterson should have been the the lead character and, and not Hunnam. And I'm maybe fair enough. Um, but I don't think he does a bad job of it. I think he does a really good job of showing someone who, who's always got an itch, who's got this niggly thing that he needs to scratch. Um, and that kind of comes through in so many, like, I, I, like again, it, it kind of comes through in so many of, um, of Grey's movies, that the, these obsessed guys and their, their strained family ties. And I think he, he does a really good job of kind of, extrapolating interesting things from that whether or not I think the emotional response is poignant enough is is one thing but I do think it's in there and I do think it it kind of works at the, um, at, at the movie's strongest yeah I mean for me probably I think the most effective moment of the movie which actually also becomes quite frustrating because of how I feel like it's later dealt with is the scene where um, Tom Holland, uh, our podcast fave, um, 
confronts um, his father, Charlie Hunnam, about him being away for so much, him abandoning the family, and they have this like really tense confrontation that turns uh, violent briefly. And I think that there's something really interesting in that because up until then, the movie had toyed with the idea of at what point does striving for an accomplishment become a waste of time and at what point does it become like an expression of like male ego and like pointlessness yeah and 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 loses its kind of value and i think that that scene is really interesting because yeah it's it's a more obvious kind of moment in the movie which is frustrating other moments but i think with that it really works but the reason why i then find it a bit frustrating is because after that it's not that long until you're getting the kind of older Tom Holland mm. um, character. And that character's kind of view on his dad, on what his dad was doing, has changed a, a lot. Uh, yes. It's kind of time skip. And I just, I, I understand that it is meant to be a time skip. I understand that it's meant to kind of show a progression. But there just feels like such a disconnect between these two characters in time. And I don't need it to be completely wrapped up you know i think sometimes it is a fault of a movie that tries to too uh tries too hard to kind of psychoanalyze its characters and then come up with very clear distinct reasons why its characters think and feel different things i think that that sometimes is good to have characters that have motives and opinions that don't always reconcile because that's a real human being mm. but i do think that there could have just been something more to see why why does this Tom Holland feel differently from the Tom Holland five years before, six years before? I don't remember how long the time skip is. Yeah, I mean, for me, I thought there's a, there's um, there was a review. I think it might be Matt Zolosites on um, Roger Ebert's um, website, who says that the World War One sequence is a bit long in the tooth and. And we spend a lot of time there for no other real reason other than we can get all these characters, all the characters that, um, that Fawcett went mm. on these expeditions with together again. And I agree with you, there's a kind of disconnect because someone, you know, um, Holland, uh, Holland and Hunnam, uh, once they're at odds at each other and then they're friends and, you know, they're fine. And um, you get the feeling that you could, cut some of the cut some of the war sequence add one more scene of him being at home and find that kind of reconciliation with his son and you could have a whole different movie um well not a different movie that's that's wrong um but have a have something which means that you, you just connect a little bit more with what's going on. And I do, I, I, I agree with you there. And I think that's possibly what it is. It's not, I don't think it's a craft thing. I don't think it's um, in terms of some of the more technical aspects. I think it is just some of that storytelling just, just needs to be matched up in a way that you get the emotional through line. And maybe that's possibly why I myself is going, what's missing here? What's missing? There's something missing here. And I think it's one of those things where you've got a film that's two, two hours, 20, two and a half hours or what have you. And you, he's probably not got final cut or if he's got final cut, he still has to get it under a certain amount of time. And he's like, okay, well, 
we can cut this and put this there and, and, and do that and, and everything. And I'm wondering if that's, that's possibly the issue. And it's just this thing on where another scene with Sierra Nemiro could, could have worked. Another scene with mm-hmm. Tom Holland could have worked. Another scene where we actually see him at home. But then again, on the flip side of that, not seeing him at home and not see like you never see him really at home and that's kind of the point and mm. I think it's one of those things where we have to kind of put up the balance there um but I don't I don't think that's a bad criticism of, of the movie at all I think it is kind of true and it's just kind of I think one of, one of the things I'm liking listening to you guys talk about it is is me trying to figure out in my own head because I only watched it um yesterday um and I get the feeling that it's me trying to figure out in my own head, what is it about the movie? What, what is it about the movie that I feel is missing? And just hearing it from yourself is, is kind of helping me reach to that point, so to speak. I will say, though, um, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. The turnaround from Tom Holland's character um, condemning his father to suddenly effectively wanting to be his father is very quick, as mm. is Sienna Miller's change of heart in suddenly a, she's been quite rightly criticizing Fawcett for going away and then she allows her son to go away and it seems a bit mad but I think that scene also leads to one of my favorites in the movie um, which is so Fawcett and his son they've got permission from Sienna Miller to go off and go adventuring and they try to drag in Fawcett's old mate Costin played by Pattinson Mm. and Pattinson is just absolutely brilliant throughout the whole thing as you say he doesn't seem to be doing much yeah. But you can just see, I'm personally, I'm not hugely sold on Hunnam in this movie, but you can see Hunnam and every other actor in the film come alive opposite Pattinson. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but like, so he starts off, as you say, he's an absolute drunk. Fawcett is having to tell him to sort of act like a sort of gentleman, as it were. Yeah. And then, yeah, he does kind of, start to control himself and then by the end he's got the maturity to take the decision that no he doesn't want to go on this latest adventure he's mm. he's settled down and he's decided to make a life and i think that's that sort of character development put opposite Fawcett, who's almost willfully not developed to the extent that he's turned his son into a, a smaller skinnier version of himself mm. is that's one of the few scenes where they don't state the thematics as clearly as they do in other parts, but it hits home way better for it. Mm. I mean, my thing is, I just remember, I remember it must be 2009 sitting in a cinema and watching Twilight and just losing my mind and just feeling, and I apologise to anyone who likes Twilight listeners, either of yourselves. And I just felt, just my brain leaking out of my ears <laughs> and the reason why was just I just I was looking at both Robert Patterson and, and Kristen Stewart and just going you guys aren't really doing anything it was just so they're so stoic and so stiff and and it's just like this is supposed to be this kind of a big a broader kind of epic romance even you know it's a teen movie you, it's allowed to be kind of overwrought and emotional and and everything else like that and then I've watched these guys since and near like 
nearly every Robert, Robert Patterson movie I've seen since has just, he's just almost like a revelation in it. He's always doing something interesting. He's always got, he's, you know, maybe it's the darting eyes in good time or, or maybe he's, you know, he's this and he's got a very quiet persona or even the Rover, which is another kind of sprawling kind of road movie adventure type thing. Um, and he's just, there's something about him in that scene where he's, he's there and his own realisation, him coming to terms of it and, and him putting it to bed. And it, it doesn't say too, like, like you said, like you said, Nate, it's, he doesn't do too much doesn't have to do too much but you realize that that is a maturity that this main character that Hunnam plays Forsyth doesn't have and it is that and, it, and it's this thing that I don't know we kind of fool ourselves with in this day and age there's so many people now if you go online now I'm sure you've got one or two people online on social media turning around to you go oh you can do anything and it's never too late to do this and blah 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 even though systematically now it is getting more and more difficult for a lot of us to achieve or get to do certain things that we want to do. Not because we, we can't, but be it money, be it who we are, what we do. And, and you know, there's so much to it. And it's just, and, and I think it's so interesting to see a character turn around and go, as much as I have the taste for this, as much as I'd love to do this, I cannot do this. And it's, I don't know about you, but that is a difficult thing to, to express in real life, let alone in a movie. And I think he just nails it. It's Because he says something in the beginning, in, um, near the beginning, um, when they come back and he goes, I've got, I, I, I've got the sense of, I've got the taste for this. And it's just, it's just a small little line and you see he, he's got this small little arc. And I think one of the things I find interesting about the movie is I think sometimes they're trying... He's, tr I think Gray's trying to compress a lot of stuff into almost singular moments and singular scenes. And I think this is what the, where the Coppola thing comes in. If you watch, if you watch The Godfather again anytime soon, you realize that this three hour film has so many character arcs and they all tie up and they're all. Yeah really intricately done despite whatever's got the main film and everything else like that and you get the feeling that Gray's trying to do something similar but I don't think he hits that mark there's something about some of those scenes where I'm like oh I know what you're trying to do here but yeah he's he's just whiffed it he's he's just gone past the past the post it's just it's not there and yet there's so much in what people like Patterson do in those scenes it still makes it an intriguing watch it still makes it something to be looked and almost poured over and I just remember like my thing is this like I've, I've written so many like like reviews and do, doing podcasts and, and everything else like that and people say oh you're a film critic or you're a film writer uh, recommend me something and I go I can't recommend you anything because I don't know what your tastes are um it does, doesn't really work that way um and I just remember leaving this now and I was like I knew exactly who I wanted to to watch who to watch this movie I knew exactly what they'd like from it exactly what they'd gain from it just the era everything else and just the richness in the tone and the visuals and the and the texture of it all 
And I know I've gone off on a tangent here because I was supposed to be talking about Robert Patterson. Um, but I think he kind of encompasses so much of what I liked about it because I think he's, he gets that tone. I mean, when you look at him, when he's, when you look at uh, Robert Patterson when clean shaven, he's a very odd looking man. Yes, he's good looking, but he's an odd looking man. He's, he's, he's a very interesting bone structure. Um, and one of the things I like is once he puts on the beard and he's in it, he, he feels so lived in. And because he feels so lived in, when you watch him in all these other little scenes and he's just performing, when it gets to this moment and it gets to him saying no, you really believe it. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's something about him. It's, I, it's very hard to do that. And there's something about, if you watch that scene again, you watch the way he walks. He walks like a man that's, you know, seen some shit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's a really subtle, but like good performance. And I don't know. It's, it's just what it's one of those things. I'm still struggling to find out what it is that I feel the film is missing, and yet I'm talking myself into why I liked it even more. But I don't know. <laughs> I think with Pattinson, I, the way you've been talking has made me sort of realise one of the things that I think is so great about his performance is he looks like a, a genuine wild man. He's got long, shaggy hair. He's got a big, bushy beard. Yes, he looks. He's gaunt. You meet him. He's drunk. He always dresses scruffy. But then he he chooses to play him in such a quiet, reserved way yeah. that it's you don't think, oh, this is kind of some stereotypical macho douchebag. Mm. This is, as you say, a guy who's seen some shit. Yeah. And I think that just it just adds a little extra something that makes his character so much more engaging. And <clears throat> I have to admit, for me, probably more engaging than Fawcett. For me, I, I really like the Fawcett character. And I think one of the reasons why I like the Fawcett character is to do with, 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 with Patterson's, Patterson's character as, um, as Costin. And one of the reasons why I think I like it is Fawcett is such an understated man, but he clearly has a charisma that gets people interested in what he's doing. And you see this three times in the movie. Actually, no, four times. There's four characters, three characters, sorry, apologize, who turn around and because of his drive, then turn around and go, I need to, I want to do this. I want to help you. I want to go on and I want to move you. And in the case of, um, of Costin, the thing is about him is, like you said, he, he's drunk. And by the end of it, he's become this really refined character. He's grown. And that you get the feeling that he could only have grown through what happens with him and Fawcett. That's what I think makes that kind of character so strong and so memorable. It's just that that relationship happens. Again, I, I guess that's kind of, again, why I like the movie, because it, it's too Fawcett's folly. He doesn't seem to realise what he does. He's enriched so many people around him. And yet in his head, he still doesn't understand what it is that made him the man that he is. It isn't just the drive and the wish to keep exploring. It's the, the fact that he can turn around to people and embiggen them and give them this kind of confidence and assertiveness to do that. 
and I think that's a heartbreak and I think one of and I think they don't lean into that heartbreak enough sometimes because <laughs> that is the heartbreak of it all it's just like he has this you know he ha- clearly has a love for his uh, for his his family and the family love him and they, they show it but they don't lean into the fact that he's such an inspiration to them as well as his society as well as as Costin and, and and everyone else like that. I think they should really I wish the film really leaned into that a little bit more and and how a man so charismatic can lead someone uh, can lead someone on these trails. Yeah, it you know that's what that ego swallows him up in such a way that you know they learn this kind of like really important fact and he doesn't and I think that's possibly what the ending's striving to. You get this thing where, where his wife Nina is turning around, and she, you know, that last scene is very searchers, where she kind of turns around and walks off into a rainforest of of sorts, and it's clearly obvious that his disappearance has inspired her in such a way that she becomes, she almost has the same kind of obsession. But again, I just don't think it it really drives that home. I think there's a lot of stuff that um lands in this movie but doesn't land enough for me but the the, something that really does I think does really work for me is like seeing his drive and seeing his ambition and seeing the ways that it as you mentioned the ways that it fulfills other people without ever completely fulfilling him like Mm. he's able to inspire all these other people but that like personal drive is never actually it's never quite enough for him you get the sense that even if he did find the lost city of zed there would always be something more there would always be the next thing because it's never enough it's never satisfying and i think that that is in a different way i think that's something that we can all relate to really strongly because especially like I think social media and like that kind of like culture that we've developed as like a society right now, everything is very goal orientated. Everybody, the, the correct thing to do is to have very clear goals and ambitions and accomplishments for yourself. But mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing about human beings is that we like to think in these like goal orientated ways, but it doesn't necessarily satisfy us all the time. And that's why I think movies about people like Fawcett really interesting because they work both as like this character study of this very specific person who grew up in a very specific point in history with his own specific personality and mannerisms but this is something that is still like very applicable to everything because I think that we all have this like in different ways we all have this drive to do something that can never really be completely satisfied I just think that's interesting no, I think I, I think you you got something really hit something on the nail here, here. Where I mean, so much of the film clearly cribs from the kind of modern discourse and conversations, the feminism, the the softening of 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 race in this, and you bringing up social media as, as this kind of goal orientated thing is something that I myself has been grappling with for for a long time. And one of the reasons I, I grapple with it is no one seems to seem to see the fact that we're now all on kind of social media feeds. We're on mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter, whatever, and say you want to be a writer, say you want to be a YouTuber, say you want to be or anything else like that. Now, the scary thing about I found about I was I like being a, a YouTuber for me is the fact that I saw I'd read articles of people burning out all the time, and you realize one of the reasons why they burn out is it, it's not TV. It is TV in terms of like a visual medium and everything else like that, but it's not TV in the sense of there is no endpoint. There is no endpoint, and because there's no endpoint, it's just I've just got to keep feeding the machine, feeding the machine, and feeding the machine, and going, going, and going, and going, and going, and you see it with everything. Like all, like all this stuff is just there is no endpoint, and yet we are fixating ourselves with goals to find, you know, to oh, we're going to do podcasts, oh, we're going to do this, oh, we're going to do this, and oh, and everything, and. I think that kind of plays, I think that kind of modern aspect of it kind of helps me kind of play into this aspect of, of what we're seeing here with, with Fawcett in the sense of, like you guys said, even if he found the lost city, would he be satisfied with that? Would he be able to contend himself with that? I mean, there is a moment in in the film where he he loses he loses his sight briefly, and the thing is about us as human beings: when something like that happens, we have to learn to adapt, and we become something. We become different people, and and whatnot. If you lose your sight, you have to, you know, you you can get angry and whatnot. But what happens is you have, you you then realize that you can no longer see, so therefore you use your other senses, and you become and, and everything else like that, and because he gets his sight back you get the feeling that to him instead of him turning around going how lucky i was let's see what i can do to do this he's like actually no i can go back out there and see what i can do (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like oh mate what are you doing (laughs) but that's the that's the drama and i think that's what drives us to watch this stuff and the fact that we can see that and and i love you know i love that but I brought up the film earlier, um, There Will Be Blood. Like Paul Thomas Anderson spends half an hour without speech just watching this man mine for silver. And and I'm watching it and and just you you then see his drive and you see he it's a doomed thing and it's he is on his way to destruction. And even when, and even the last lines of that movie, I'm finished. He's not really finished. Or you can take it in so many ways. He's finished in the sense of, yes, he just killed a man. Um, and that's the thing. There's something about the way he builds that character in the beginning that makes that end so satisfying. And I'm wondering if Gray misses something in some of the script or he has to cut something or pass something down to get from one point to get to the point that he wants to get to. And I'm wondering if that's the, that's the issue with it. But then again, on the flip side, I think he does do a, a, a decent job of pushing the man's drive, whether or not it's the most interesting part of the story or not is a different story. I don't know. I think for me, I, I, 
big part of it is we've we've talked about the um how much force it is able to inspire others and um but never really sees it in himself but i think i would definitely agree that this is amongst charlie hunnam's best work and he's he's come a very long way but i think for those scenes there's especially a scene during the first world war where he give he stands up and he gives this big speech to his men and they go nuts for it yeah and the whole time i'm just watching hunnam like i just wouldn't and, <laughs> and don't get me wrong he's gorgeous but i, I just I, I i would in that sense but like would i go over the trenches for it no no I wouldn't. <laughs> and he's just um I think it just needs an actor with a bit more, for me, a, a bit more depth, a, a bit more of that almost je ne sais quoi, just to really grab you because it is, that is the central role. You need someone who can utterly outshine everyone else on screen. Mm. And for me, there are often points where Hunnam is eclipsed by Pattinson or Holland or the guy who plays Murray, whose name I can't remember, but I've seen in so many things. Angus McFadden. That one, yes. Yeah. Um, he's just kind of, he's in the background to them, despite the fact he's the main character. And I think that along with sort of it's the, the sheer ambition of it and trying to do so many things and the occasionally quite ob- obvious links to those themes, um, I think that's what, stops this movie from being the kind of film that I could see myself loving because like it's got all the stuff that I'd be interested in as we've been saying it just doesn't hit that emotional core enough to really make me love it I am so glad that we um just had that conversation because I hope that the people who are really into Charlie Hunnam will um get really annoyed at Nate and leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) Why is this? Sorry. <laughs> because I bashed Tom Holland now a couple of times. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, my my thing with Holland is he's a he's got a look. He's very young. He's very fresh faced. Um, so he gets these very preppy parts. And I haven't seen Cherry yet, but I've heard nothing but bad things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not entirely sure. You know where to go from it I, there's all my thing is and I was talking to um, a friend of uh, well I say friend of my uh, my podcast co-host for Hustlers of Culture Hugh and I, I was saying I I don't really talk about performances as much when I if I write a review about anything anymore um because I don't know it's, it's, it's the Megan Fox principle I call it like there's this element of watching Megan Fox in Transformers seeing everyone just go, oh, she's the worst actress ever, blah, 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 and everything else like that. And then she leaves Transformers. You see her in Jennifer's body. You see her in, like, New Girl and, and everything else like that. And it's like, no, actually, she's she's an okay actress. She's all right. The problem isn't her. She's not a bad actress. The problem is she was cast in this movie that needs a certain type of person and she doesn't really fit the type. And I see that a lot. And I see it with, and I, 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 I wouldn't say I see it with Tom Holland. It's just the fact that he's never wowed me 
I think he's quite fun in something like Civil War or anything else like that. But you're just waiting to see what someone else can do with him. I think he does a good job here. I think he does all right. I think, you know, it's, it's James Gray and he gets, he usually gets really good performances out of people. Um, case in point, um, Eva Mendes in um, We Own the Night. But I do wonder if he's going to get more stuff, which isn't necessarily like an era thing where he has to play like a kind of middle-class English guy or, or, or anything else like that. I wonder if they're going to put him in some, some other things and, and whatnot. Um, but also remember as well that he's very popular at the moment. And because he's popular, it's so typical of people to just be just adverse to him. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, I remember I'm so old now. <laughs> I remember when people really liked Coldplay and then I think it was the third album. Everyone really hated Coldplay, but they were still really popular. <laughs> and it's just that, it's just that thing where it's just like, once you're in the public eye for a certain amount of time, for a long time, it's just like, oh, he's beginning to gray. And I get the feeling that if you give him, give it a couple of years of not seeing him in everything and then go back and watch some of the stuff, he's like, oh, that's what he was trying to do there. That was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's the, the, the magic of actors, so to speak. <laughs> I would say, I think one issue that Tom Holland at the moment is facing is that as you say he's he's been cast in a lot of things as a sort of cute slightly shy slightly awkward middle class boy sometimes english sometimes american he's got that variety there oh and, but, and new york for spider-man but yeah <laughs> exactly but um i think he's actually very good at it and i can see what you mean like he doesn't necessarily push the boat out but yeah. i think if you want him to do that he can knock it out of the park doing that like i think here he plays his job is to wrench on your heartstrings and i think he's maybe the most successful at that um but i think the issue with tom holland right now is that because he's so popular they've just gone we'll put him in everything <laughs> and <laughs> That's so what happens though, isn't it? we were talking about uncharted and like it's just such a non-tom holland role and he yes. just looks lost at sea yeah. but not in a fun adventurous way hmm. yeah i want to see tom holland do maybe he will right quite possibly he will um do kind of like what robert pattinson has done over the last couple of years and just like not even take a step back right like robert pattinson is batman like that you know he's still in the public eye but like look at the roles you're given and pick some really interesting roles where you're able to really push yourself um and i would i don't know if that's what Tom Holland wants to do, but I would really love to see him do that because I, I think there is potential there. I just want to see him do something a little bit different, both because I think it would be interesting and also I think it start it it helps with the um feeling of getting tired of a public figure. Um, which I think happens to, and also I mean it happens so it's happened so many times to actresses as well. So maybe it's fair enough that it happens to Tom Holland as well. Oh, you know, I remember absolutely despising Leonardo DiCaprio when I was younger, um, <laughs> mostly because every girl at school fancied him, and I did not look like him. So therefore, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Um, and then suddenly. He takes a couple of years out. He comes back and 
nearly everything he picks up is interesting and he finds all these perfect you know know, his relationship with Scorsese is amazing because you remember it's it's around like um, Gangs of New York in 2002 I'd like to say 2002 Um, I think that's one of the first times they started working together I I need to look it up but um, and you realise that he's actually quite an interesting actor and the boyish looks kind of disappear and you realise that this guy's got it and he's got this really interesting energy. Not to say he didn't have it before, but Jack in Titanic is Jack in Titanic. And interestingly enough, I can imagine someone like um, Tom Holland being Jack in Titanic. It is, there's, it's a very, there's something about that role, isn't it? It's just it, be very energetic and this and say Rose a lot and, what have you um and then afterwards i just you you just found this guy just picking all the right roles for him and they were all really interesting all really different all with him turning around and and trying uh, yes there's an element of him wanting to try and win an oscar but there's this element of him just being just a star on screen and I don't know, Tom, how old is Tom Holland now? 24? <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. still time. Still, you know, something will happen when you, you grow up and mature. And, you know, I think what, what's happening, I think you're waiting for his kid A. <laughs> you're, looking, you're looking for his kid A where he turns around and does something completely different, alternative and, and strange. You go, oh, wow, okay, didn't expect that. And then you see the people who are going to run with it and the people who aren't going to run with it, and, you know. but Does anybody have any last final thoughts about the, la- the lost city of Z slash Z, um, depending on what market you're in. And I know that we should say Z because, you know, uh, British, but the lost city of Z sounds... Better. It does. Like, it doesn't make sense because I hate saying Z and the characters in the movie say Z, but, but it doesn't make sense to, to call a film, to say the lost city of Z. <laughs> does the lost city of z i don't know it's weird and i don't like it but i do say it in i think in um in when it went when it went out in america they just went they went with z um because it's america and that's their american english compared to our british english so that's what they went for there's one thing i i kind of expected i, I kind of want expected more of i thought it would be a bit more actiony I thought there'd yeah. be a bit more action to it. Um, not to say that's bad. Um, when stuff happens, it reminds me very much of like um, early Herzog, um, Wrath of God stuff, um, which I would think would make an amazing kind of double bill because it's both these, these weird, obsessive men going down. Like I think in, in, in Wrath of God, he's, it's, the, it's the Andes. Um, but South America... And, and it's for, for me, Wrath of God's got one of my favorite endings ever. Um, if you like monkeys, um, there's, there's lots of them. Uh, <laughs> um, I really got something out, out, out of this still. I mean, I know we've been kind of talking about what's missing, but it just says to me that, that, that Gray's one of these solid American filmmakers. He's really interested in just going his own way with things. And I think there's not enough of this. I know his movies are 
are not these kind of big blockbusters who that make a lot of money. And it's sad that Z or Z didn't make the money that we were expecting and or, or anything else like that. But I will sit and, you know, I'm always interested in what he's got next. Um, he's willing to just indulge in so much stuff and he mucks about with genre really well because I'm every time I go in to watch one of his movies, I'm not, what I expect isn't what happens. And that is so, I don't know, it's not as commonplace as it used to be. Yeah. Jack, would you recommend? To who? <laughs> to a general audience? Yeah, let's go um, with that. I don't know. I think that this is the kind of movie that is going to hit certain people and just like really, really work for them. For me, it for me it's like a it's a fine movie and not like even in like a like a derogatory way. It's fine. Like there's loads of things that work really well about it. It's very competent. It's really great in a lot of ways. It doesn't hit me in the way that I want it to and the way that I know that it works for some people. So like I'm not sure if I would recommend this movie. Maybe. If I knew that there was somebody who was very into kind of 70s style movies that can you know keep you at an arm's length in a kind of fun and interesting way yeah sure i would recommend it i think how about you Nick? yeah i think i'd say i wouldn't recommend it to a general audience i think you've got to have some point of interest going in whether it's james gray for leslie whether it's the kind of the genre for me whether you just think robert pattinson's a great actor whatever if, if you want to, if you're interested in an actor, you're interested in the genre, I think it's definitely worth a watch because it is one of those weird off the beaten path things that does try to do more than many films do. But um, yeah, I think it is not quite successful enough in what it's trying to do to make it worth watching for someone who doesn't really have that prior interest. Watch it just for Sienna Miller's really ugly dress. Jack has been waiting all episode to get that out. (laughs) And if you watch it, you'll know exactly what dress I mean. (laughs) And finally, I guess we've got to come to the question that defines our show for for good or for bad. Does it swashbuckle? Uh, Jack, should we start with you? No, because you know I never know how to answer this question because I don't know what medium, how many uh, buckles. Um, Let's say say out of five. (laughs) Five yeah, buckles. We, we started um, a leaderboard to kind of rank the movies that we talked about, and it will be entirely unsurprising to people who are regular listeners of this podcast that Nate knows what's on the leaderboard and I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, this movie, I'd say I'd say three. I'd say that's good I, because I think it is a movie that is really su- successful in some ways, not so successful in others, but it's interesting and. I'm always going to be up for a movie that makes me think about something, even if it's not as perfect as I want it to be, because not every movie can be, but every movie can at least make me think. So yeah, three buckles swatched. Leslie? Um, I don't think um, in terms of swashbuckles, <laughs> uh, it's a valid, I don't think that's it. I don't think. I don't think in terms of swashbuckles, this. Um, I won't equate that to the um, to the quality of the film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and because of that, I don't think so. I don't think you do not get an Errol Flynn moment. You do not get a Indiana Jones moment. You don't get that kind of big grandstanding heart in your mouth moment. Um, it's not that kind of movie. Um, it is an adventure movie, but it is very, very based in ex exploration. So a little bit like Ad Astra, it is going to be one of those things where you sit there, you watch and go, oh, that's not really what I expected. Okay. And kind of and, and go from there. Um, I would give it two. I think I, I completely agree with the sentiment, like whether it's swashbuckles or not, does not equate to its quality. Um, I would say, as I've said, I think it's a really interesting film. Um, I wouldn't really say it swashbuckles much. I think it's more interested in kind of that, the grubby truth that lies between these myths of adventure that we've created for ourselves. And it's much more interested in like the hardship that these men put themselves through and their families and their loved ones through. Um, so for that reason, I would only give it, say, a, a 1.5 on the does it swashbuckle list. But I would say that it's, it is a really interesting film and one that does, as I say, it, it's not a film that feels like it would get made today. And that's a real shame because I'd like to see more directors trying to do this. And I think if you did get more directors trying to do this, you might have a better shot at getting some films that really do hit that emotional high point that we've all said that we kind of felt that this lacked. So um, thank you so much for coming on, Leslie. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem. If not, we would love to have you back on for The Adventures of Robin Hood. Just tell me when. <laughs> tell me when you're free. Will do. Um, thank you, as always, to Jack, who enjoys A, sort of pacifying me, and then B, trying to, like, make me the, the subject the of, like, yeah. <laughs> basically trying to get me cancelled by someone which is delightful <laughs> it's very comforting yeah. to know that you have my best interests at heart yeah. <laughs> leslie can uh, come back on for the adventures of robin hood and i'll wait until jungle cruise 2 <laughs> <laughs> and yes um thank you so much for listening bye bye